A really warm welcome to episode 42 with Heidi Fisher. Heidi Fisher is a social enterprise guru. She's worked with over 2,000 organizations and transformed their fortunes. She's won a number of awards, including an MBE. You're going to enjoy this episode. I don't like to see it as, you know, helping people. I, I think there's, there's this myth out there that we we need to help and rescue people and and in reality what people need is is the right resources and the right information and and they can make their own informed choices and help themselves um and and that that's a piece i think over the years that i've learned is is perhaps missing in that a lot of charity creates dependency and in actual fact we we need to create independence purposely podcast speaking with social entrepreneurs and charity founders and leaders people who are making the world a better place here's your host mark longbottom A really warm welcome to Heidi Fisher uh, and MBE. How does it feel to be an MBE? What what did you become an MBE for? So it it feels quite good to be an MBE. It's it was a shock and a surprise because I didn't know I'd been nominated for it. But the MBE is for services to innovation in social enterprise and impact measurements. Fantastic. And one thing in the making of this podcast and the research I've done, you grew up wanting to make the world a better place, which I think is superb. Why do you think that was a, a hope when you were younger? Um, so I, th- I think what I always say to people is that it was probably in my DNA um, that in that all of my grandparents, both sets of my grandparents and my parents used to do a lot of voluntary work and do a lot of work with charities and therefore, uh, although I tried to buck that trend and not necessarily to start with wanting to necessarily make the world a better place, as you put it, um, I I realised uh, as I started in my career and professional journey that I was not meant to buck that trend and that I was actually meant to make the world a better place and the the universe was going to direct me in that way regardless of what I thought I was meant to be doing. Fantastic and do you remember any things that you did as a child or a young person that was sort of hitting you in that direction? Uh, So I I remember doing lots of um, counting of money with my granddad um, from the the fates and various fundraising days that he would run. Um, yeah, that that was always good fun. Um, yeah, I, I, I just suppose in future we won't be counting money so much because it will all be um, cashless. But it um, yeah, and I used to to do the they used to have some games at the fates and and the fundraising days, and I I would be in charge of running one of the games or the stalls um, when I was younger. So very very basic sort of little fundraising work to start with, but um, still I suppose doing that bit for the community. And was it often talked about sort of? Um, in your uh, household was it talking talk about sort of um, 
or charity or you know helping people out in need was there just sort of a general dialogue about doing good I no I don't think so it it was just um more that it just happened and I I I don't like to see it as you know helping people I, I think that there's this myth out there that we we need to help and rescue people and and in reality what people need is is the right resources and the right information and and they can make their own informed choices and help themselves um and and that that's a piece I think over the years that I've learned is is perhaps missing in that a lot of charity creates dependency and in actual fact we we need to create independence um but I'd, I don't feel that as a family or growing up that it was oh you have to help people um I, I just think it, it fits nicely with um the kind of person that I am and it, it's also about this idea that if if you give too much and you you try to help and save everyone you you end up burning out as an individual and so you have to say okay what's my actual role in this what can I do what are the things that I love doing and that I'm good at that that will support other people to achieve what they can and so they can be the best version of themselves as well Mm. yeah I love that that two-way exchange of value between people yeah I hope I, I think I'm, I'm hoping that makes it set, um, sense in terms of how I'm explaining it but I, d- I just I, I think a lot of people s- start organizations and charities from that wrong perspective in in that it is about this rescue relationship and in actual fact nobody needs rescuing And you've helped over 2,000 social enterprises and over a billion pounds worth of funds has kind of got close to touching. Um, that's that's a huge achievement. Um, you, you are now director and founder of Make an Impact CIC. Do you explain your their vision and mission? Yeah, so the um, vision is a world where all businesses are social enterprises that positively impact on people and the planet. So very much on a mission to to create a, as many social entrepreneurs as possible. And um, in terms of the, the mission, it is about supporting people to, to grow their social enterprises. And that's through growing the income and also the impact that they have. So twofold, really. It's not just purely focused on the, the monetary growth of social enterprises. It's also focused on, on them having a, a bigger and better impact on, on people and the planet. Um, but recognizing that, if we have more money, we can create more impact. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's through the means of consultancy, mentoring, workshops, yeah. that, that sort of thing? Yeah, so um, the bulk of my work is is split between doing mentoring, so either one-to-one group mentoring type arrangements, delivering training uh, around um, 
how to grow your social enterprise, a lot of training around impact measurement, because that's one of my areas that I specialize in and um, things around pricing, finance, etc. because of my um, legacy as a, a former ch- um, chartered accountant. Well, I'm still a chartered accountant, but as a former a practicing accountant on a day-to-day basis. And then the, the consultancy work, which is, is getting organizations to focus on how they can be more impact-led as an organization. So really being strategic about the impact that you want to create and then making your decisions on what you actually deliver in terms of uh, products and services to achieve that impact and and really really focusing in on on that aspect and as opposed to I'm coming at it from this is a product or service that I want to deliver okay what impact does that create decide with the end in mind first Mm. and you talk about a unique approach to everyone else what's that unique approach do you mind sharing that as a secret with our guests yeah, so in, in terms of the unique approach, uh, there, there's several elements to that. But one of the things that I very much believe is that we, we need to simplify things and make them less complicated and less confusing. There's, there's so much language around social enterprise and impact measurement that is designed to make it sound as, as complicated as anything. And in reality, it it just needs to be brought down to a, a level where we, we speak in in plain English and and we enable people to do things. Um, so, so agree that's, with you, yeah. I agree. Yes. And I think sometimes there's a disconnect between the terminology I've found in, in social enterprise, um, and then when you actually unpack the kind of projects, you think, ah, that project's really good, but it's quite a simple concept. It's making a difference, but all the terminology sort of you know creates a disconnect between you and it yeah definitely and then in in terms of the impact measurement work I do building on that idea of simplicity and and reducing the complexity is taking a a lean social impact approach which is a a five-step process that I take my clients through which is about being as lean as possible with your your impact measurement and data collection so finding out what the minimum viable amount of data is that you need to collect um so if if you've ever read around the the lean startup you you know they talk about your, what's your minimum viable product in in terms mm. of impact measurement it's you know what's your minimum viable amount of data that you can capture and still have enough to evidence and prove the impact you're having because you know that the myths are that you need to to capture data from everybody you need your data needs to be of a a much higher quality and standard than anything else that you would ever collect um and that you need to to measure everything um that you're actually doing and i'm like okay let's let's throw all those myths away and let's just be really simple and focus on just measuring two things and measuring them really really well Um, so that that's the the approach that I take with my clients and I also the the third element of of the work that I do with the clients that I work with is making sure that people are if it if it's a, a founder is making sure that they've aligned what they want as an individual to what they're delivering through their social enterprise because very often you've got a founder that's that's heading in one direction and their social enterprise in another 
and therefore what what started out as enjoyment and and happiness at having a social enterprise becomes a very stressful thing three or four years down the line and so the the work is very much okay how do we get you to to be do and have the things that you want and is it right to still be doing that through your social enterprise and lose the emotion about you know well this is my baby I created it therefore I have to stick with it forever because we don't have to All of the clients that I work with, I genuinely love every single one of them. So when you ask me for an example, I'm like, oh my God, I could share hundreds. Um, but I I really do. I love um, working with, um, at the moment I've worked with a, a, a group of um, creative women entrepreneurs and they, I just love them because they're, they're so um creative I, I know it sounds like obvious creative entrepreneurs but they they they're making like bespoke handbags um bespoke hair ex- accessories clothing um textiles all these kind of things and and it just boggles my mind how clever and they are in terms of the the product ideas that they come up with um so that that's an amazing thing that I'm doing at the moment. One that I did recently um, mm. was with um, Social Arc. So they're a charity down in, in London. They um, work with young people to support them to start up social enterprises. And the young people come from um, their they use their lived experience to create their social enterprises and there's a real value put around that lived experience and what they're actually bringing and how they're 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 um supported to become leaders in their own community and i absolutely loved um supporting them on the the projects um i'm um actually a, a trustee for that organization so um but it was just mm. it's amazing because the, there's nothing like being in a, a room even if it is on zoom with with a, a group of young people that are so passionate about making change and and achieving real impact in their own communities yeah and i think that combination of lived experience and if you can add skills and drive and commitment to, to that then that could be incredibly impactful can't it that's a game changer often um do you see a real change in generational attitudes to this stuff I do. I, th- I think that um, more young people know about purpose and they, they're thinking about what difference they make and how their buying choices will impact the environment. You know, my son, we, we were driving down the road the, um, about three weeks ago. And my son was like, why are they cutting the trees down? Don't they know we need the trees um, to give us oxygen? And, and it was like, whoa, you know, he's six and he's already asking those kind of questions. Mm. And then um, I, he, he said to me, mommy, why have you changed to having tea leaves rather than tea bags? And I said, well, it's because tea bags have plastic in them, apparently. And he was like, well, yeah, didn't you know that, mum? Duh. <laughs> um, so it, it's kind <laughs> of like we're looking at the, these um 
young people and we we think oh that they still have so much to learn and actually you know they already know so much and um, we don't actually need to teach anything we just need to to uh, as I said before it's about that enabling and supportive role um you, you know we, we're not giving them the, the skills or the knowledge to do it they have it within them they just need someone to it's almost like molding a, um, some clay or pottery they just need a little bit of help with shaping it to become a chartered accountant which is you know pretty full-on qualification good with numbers that just made sense quite driven about your career what was the sort of mindset going into that um I I think it, at the time it was you've got to decide to do something what the what the heck are you going to do and it was like well actually I'm okay I'm I am good with numbers I could do this um I did decide um to to specialize in tax so I I joined um to work in corporation tax um because I I already knew that I didn't want to do audit because the thought of going into a, a giant stock room and and counting quantities of of stock was, was just like no this this would drive me insane so um I I decided that I would um, specialize in corporation tax with um, the the plan that this would enable me to work with large multinationals and and travel the world. So the the flavor of geography coming through there in that you know the the ambition was was to be this jet setting um, tax consultant that that traveled all over the place and and you know was was a high flyer. Um, it didn't work out that way um, because of Enron. I, I I was made redundant partway through my training, and I got um, I managed to get a, a job elsewhere to to finish my chartered accountancy qualification. But the I have to say that the time that I was there doing my training was perhaps one of the most miserable experiences of my life um in that I realized that it didn't actually sit well with my values as an individual because I I was working with multinational companies helping them to save tax when actually they they had more than enough money to to pay their their tax anyway Um, so it, it was kind of like thanks you did me a favor and as a consequence of that um that event it then set me on my trajectory in terms of what I currently do now yeah fantastic um and often a bad experience leads to some good action um just explain for our listeners because Enron disaster some of those some people won't know what that what that is oh so um Enron was um in in terms of in America there was um basically it, it meant that um, a lot of the consultancy work that the the big four I don't I think it was maybe the big six at the time I can't actually remember um, it, it meant that the consultancy world in terms of accountancy um, basically kind of died overnight um, so all of the tax consultancy work um, really shrunk and disappeared so it, you know where where I was then sitting wasn't a great place to be um and it, it led to changes in terms of of how the the larger accountancy firms did 
their consultancy and how that was split away from their their accounting and auditing services. And so there was a few jobs in between, but this led you to um, founding your own accountancy firm focused on social enterprise. Is that right? And that's the Harris Accountancy Firm. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, so um, there were a few jobs in between, but um, whilst I I was um, training to be a chartered accountant, I was helping to set up a, a charity in the local area where I was working for, for young people. So that was back in 1999 slash 2000. Um, so that, that was the the start of the journey into the charity and social enterprise world where I I learned from the ground up how to set up a charity you know how to put all the policies together how to apply for funding where to go for funding etc how to then report and evaluate on projects and as part of that process is where I I got into the impact measurement because I I learned uh, about um, social accounting and social auditing and then also social return on investment so those those early days helped me with that role but um, I think even though I'd I'd lost my first job it in in terms of being made redundant I was still adamant that I was going to be a chartered accountant and that was kind of where where I focused for the the next few years um and then in 2008 I I did sit there and it was like actually you know what I I could set up my own accountancy firm that just focused on charities and social enterprises and do away with with having an accountancy firm that primarily works with small businesses and then has a small chunk of of charity and social enterprise clients so flipping the model on its head and I do remember at the time a lot of other accountants saying to me or how can that be viable you can't just have social enterprise and charity clients and I was like well we do you know 85 90 percent of our clients are charities and social enterprises and then the other 10 percent just happen to be um, small businesses that our social enterprise or charity clients also own um, and and it works as a business model um, so that took me through to 2016 um by then I had my my son and I just decided actually it was time for a change so that's when make an impact was born so to speak initially I it was was a lifestyle business so to speak (laughs) in that I I said you know I just want it to be quite small I don't want to go too crazy with it and then back in 2019 I sort of sat there and was like you know what it it wouldn't really take a great deal of effort to make this massive um so last year there was there was a lot of um plans to to do a lot of growth and various things and obviously um the 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 world decided no you're not going to be able to do that and I, I spent most of the year um trying to homeschool my son and have my daughter um at home from nursery so yeah, th- that didn't go to plan <laughs> but it's it's yeah. definitely there for for this year and next year we're we're kind of picking up on those things so I I have a small um team of people that work for me and then I bring in associates um 
as and when on the, the different projects as as we need basically bringing in the people with the right skills and expertise um, for the particular client yeah fantastic and measuring impact has really intrigued me so i you know day day job is running a charity and being involved in um the sort of third sector for for a number of years and it's incredible incredible how that measuring impact has become <laughs> seen as sort of a new thing but actually um it's hugely important because what's the point in doing what you do unless you know it's making a difference um do a lot of charities get it wrong what's one of the keys that you've already talked about the simplification of it like going for you know deep into data or deep deep into certain things and keeping it simple um where the organizations go wrong and is as it often easy to fix in terms of measuring impact i think where where i always see organizations going wrong is um and, and i always use this analogy of a brick wall if you imagine your charity or social enterprise as a brick wall and in that you've got your your business planning your finances your marketing your operational activities everything sits within that brick wall what everyone tries to do is build another three layers on the top that is impact measurement. Um, so make it an additional huge time-consuming process when in actual reality it needs to go into the existing bricks and be part of everything that already sits there. And if you can integrate it into what you already do, it becomes something that happens much more easily and automatically. So rather than saying, okay, every three months we'll go out and we'll send a survey out, out to every beneficiary and we'll spend two weeks doing our impact measurement, we, we say, okay, when do we actually see our beneficiaries or when do we have contact with them? How can we build in capturing that impact data as part of that process? And then it happens naturally. So that's one of the, the key things. The, the second thing is then that, that people don't look at the data that they do collect. Um, so I know a lot of people that will have funding for a, perhaps a, a two-year or three-year project, and they'll only look at the data at the end when they have to produce the report for the funder. And they therefore, they miss out on all of the things that they could change in terms of how they deliver it based on the data that they're capturing as they go along. Because if we... Uh, genuinely want to maximize the impact we have the that information is perhaps telling us that actually you're really great at improving people's confidence but the the stuff that you're doing at the moment isn't really improving their motivation and therefore you could change what you deliver at that point and say right we need to focus in more on motivation add a bulk out that part of our program if that's what you're delivering and and then see if that changes in terms of the the people being more motivated but most of the time people miss out on that and they don't look at it until it's too late to do any of that change operationally. Also a podcaster, right? So you um, launched a really successful podcast and had some amazing conversation. Tell us a bit about that journey. Yeah, so um, as, as part of the the plan from 2019 was very much to increase the visibility and raise the, the profile of making impact 
so having a, a podcast where we we've got what I can only class as the most amazing and incredible guests on there what what just made sense and because I like talking as as you can probably tell <laughs> um me too so, um it, it just made sense and it also um for me has has introduced me to so many people that perhaps I, I would never have have had the opportunity to speak to um so I'm I'm completely grateful for that and you know that there isn't a guest that comes on that I don't think, wow, this person is totally amazing and inspiring. Um, I, I, I don't, unlike you, where, where you research your guests, I, I don't at all. I like it to be like a surprise when I find out something, <laughs> if mm -hmm. that makes sense in, in terms of yeah. the, the um, conversations, but like you, it's very much a natural conversation with people. Um, so yeah, it, it's it's always uh, amazing to find out what people are actually doing, and you know what you you might look at what people describe themselves on on LinkedIn as, and and then when you have a conversation with them, you're like, whoa, that that's all completely missing from that story. <laughs> mm, yeah, and what's your superpower? Um, my superpower, ooh, I have no idea. <laughs> um, I, 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 I would think um, my superpower is is to stretch time to be able to fit in all the things that I want to do, <laughs> potentially. Yeah. yeah um you know people are always like well you seem so busy or you're always doing loads of stuff how do you fit it in and look after two children on your own all those stuff and I'm like actually it, it just it feels kind of easy and and quite effortless most of the time I will say there are days where I'm like oh my god how did I do that it, it was just like there was like 20 things to squeeze in but um most of the time I think it's just effortless because it it's something that I enjoy doing. Yeah. And you talked about it before, but homeschooling, COVID lockdowns, like tough. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um I I I would never want to go through that again. <laughs> um and when when we had to go through it again at the beginning of this year, um I literally just sat down and started crying because I was like, oh my God, I just don't think I can do this again. Um, and um, I I was on a, I was actually on a call with a client and they, they asked me something about it and I just it literally burst into tears. And luckily it was a client that I knew really well. So it was just like, you know, it's not one of those random webinars where if you burst into tears people are like who the hell is that <laughs> um but um yeah I was just like oh my god how the how on earth am I gonna get through this um yeah because it just feels every, every time you um well it's felt for me the last year every time I've I've got my momentum back up um then it's like no wait a minute hold on you need to be pulled back and stopped therefore we we're going to give you a, a three-year-old and a six-year-old to look after <laughs> full-time um whilst you're trying to work so you you're going to have to something's going to have to give in there um and um I, I think the 
I suppose the the lesson in that is that you know the the timing that we have in our heads and the plans that we have um aren't necessarily what what is divinely meant to happen <laughs> yeah yeah and did you balance it by childcare during the day and then working at night that sort of approach or? a little bit um i um i did decide to carry on working um but just at a reduced scale and there were things that i i had to say look i just this just can't happen at the moment um so you know i i tried doing the the webinars um like two hours on a webinar training um people and realized that actually that doesn't work because my children will just interrupt so many times (laughs) so so those kind of things got put on hold um I did pre-record some of them and and kind of adapt that way um but yeah it's 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 about how flexible can you be I think yeah and do you think it this period of time will change your approach in the future like are you gonna suddenly go shooting around the world you're gonna go and live somewhere crazy what is there anything you're gonna do that's almost a reaction for being locked up and challenged i become a to start, um <laughs> no to, to start with i thought that i i would would go travel to the various social enterprises that i was meant to go out and see last year so i i I'd planned to go to um, the Social Enterprise World Forum in in Canada, and so you know it's like that. I would still love to to go and do that, um, but I I just don't I don't feel the the urgency to do it so much. It it mm. seems less important. I don't know why, but yeah. you know that I I think all of those places that I would like to travel, I would still love to travel to, but I don't think I'm, I'm necessarily in, in the, Oh, I've, I feel restricted by being here. Yeah, that that's great. Yeah, it does make sense. And wh- where are you? Cause you're in the Midlands, Athelborough. I've not, N- I'm not, no, I'm not in the Midlands. Um, <laughs> so I'm actually in Norfolk, um, so over in the east of, of England. Yeah, so I lived in Bristol, and, and that was sort of the, the more, most difficult journey you could do would to be to visit you would be would be that. Yes. So nice, nice and nice and um, secluded and and out of the way. Yeah, it's it's a it's a town. It, it's um funny enough, it's where I I grew up, and it was I you know I never thought that I would ever end up back here, but um yeah, when when my son was little, that was one of the choices that I made to be closer to my parents. Um, but yeah, it's 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 nice, lots of countryside. Um, yeah. Yeah. What do you do to get? What do you do to sort of get out and relax and just get off? Do you run? Do you walk? Do you What's your, um, what's your sort of way of taking uh, the taking the children yeah. to the park? <laughs> no. Yeah. Um, so I I I do um, meditation. Um, so that that's my my main thing in terms of of just getting a bit of time to myself. I I do like to just go out and and sit in like a um I want to say a coffee shop or something but you know you can't physically sit anywhere at the moment but I I just like to have that time where I can switch off and and just be somewhere and I I, you know I don't 
I don't have to be with anybody. Um, you know, I'm, I'm quite a, I'll go out and have lunch for one kind of thing. And that, that would be my, my way to, to relax and unwind. Yeah. And as we move towards wrapping up, um, you know, what would you see? What's your vision for making an impact in, in the next sort of five years, 10 years? It changes every day, but <laughs> um, the the vision um, at the the moment is is very much um, global growth and and doing a, a huge amount in terms of of a, a global network of, of partners and 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 lots lots of, of stuff really in terms of of not just spreading the the social enterprise message but actually. Um, supporting people to to have the the best and strongest types of social enterprises or charities that they possibly can and do you think success comes in embracing technology or and matching it with people's creative powers a bit of both. Mm. yeah a bit of both yeah so you know the the technology um side in terms of of what what we've now got available to us as a consequence of what's happened in the last year is, is providing huge opportunities um, to do things much more easily. Um, but um, it's, it's also being conscious of the, the impact that your, your tech choices have because they're, they're still creating carbon. So, you know, it, it's, it's not necessarily always a good choice to go for the tech option. Yeah. Well, it's been absolute pleasure. Thank you very much, Heidi Fisher. I really appreciate you coming on. Really, I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you, Mark. It's been great talking to you. Thanks for listening to Purposely Podcast. I hope you like what you're hearing. Please subscribe and leave a review.